0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review Lewis Hamilton's Japanese Grand Prix win and ask what's gone wrong for Ferrari now. Lewis Hamilton's sixth victory in seven races in the Japanese Grand Prix means he is on the brink of the title and can secure his fifth world championship in two weeks' time in Austin. Ferrari, meanwhile, had another poor weekend of strategic blunders, the odd driver error, and ended up with Kimi Räikkönen and Sebastian Vettel just fifth and sixth. I'm your host, Ed and Joining me to look back on the Japanese Grand Prix first is Scott Mitchell. Are you enjoying being squeezed into the the corridor in my, my very Japanese hotel room? It's not spacious, is it?
2: this is my first experience of japan and i must admit the country's doing a very good job of making me feel even taller than i am i'm a i I, i'm i'm pleased to be six foot i don't think i'm a short person but being in japan it's like i feel like a giant Uh, the 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 reason it's very efficient isn't it as a country it's very perfunctory this hotel i don't have a problem with it. it everything works it's just all a little bit cramped
0: yeah, well, as demonstrated by the fact there's three of us crammed into my room, taking up pretty much every available space. We'd have a bit more space if that strange contraption in the corner that no one quite knows what it is, whether it's a shredder, a trouser press, or a dehumidifier.
2: I mean, if it's a Corby trouser press, do we dismantle it as per one of our favourite sitcom characters back home?
0: That would be the Alan Partridge thing to do. And I'm actually hoping for some Alan Partridge references from our other guests because it'd be very culturally relevant, because joining me and making his Autosport podcast debut all the way from the Soviet Union... It's Oleg Karpov. Yeah, hello, Ed. We'll obviously uh, keep him quiet until we talk about Sergei Sorokin, and then he'll, he'll be allowed to speak. But otherwise, we'll uh, we'll keep him uh, we'll keep him silent. But Lewis Hamilton, Scott, he's basically won the championship now, hasn't he? It's not official yet. It's still mathematically possible, but I don't think there's anybody in the world who doesn't think he's world champion this year.
2: Uh, I agree, and I would suggest that people who give a good example of how much he's won the title or how close he is to winning the title is Ferrari and their actions at the end of the Grand Prix by not swapping Kimi Räikkönen and Sebastian Vettel and giving Vettel a potentially vital extra two points. That smacks of a team not thinking that the title is in their realistic option anymore and therefore they don't care that you know a professional team in that situation not giving up until the end, you take everything available, don't you? You you swap the cars. Okay, Vettel was 40 seconds behind Räikkönen at one stage. But there was plenty of time left. You either get Kimmy to back off slowly over the rest of the race, or once it becomes clear that there's no threat behind from seventh place, you slow Kimmy right down over the last two or three laps and, and swap them. It's very, very doable, and and they didn't. And I, I don't know why you do that. I get that it's mathematically unlikely, but that just smacks of a, as I said, of a team and driver who, who don't believe they're going to win the title anymore.
0: I think they've pretty much given up. Now I think they've realised, what what's the points? It's six, 67 points, is the, is that the gap? Yeah, exactly. 67 points and
2: 75, uh, 75 to play for after Austin. Yeah. So Lewis can win the title in the US if he wins and, and Vettel doesn't finish second, which obviously going on recent form was it four wins in a row. Vettel's not finished higher than third in that run. So uh, all signs point to, has Lewis wrapped up the title in the US before? Did he do it last year in America? I think
0: he won it in 15 in Austin, didn't he? Yeah, when Nico
2: Rosberg had his little
1: off. Career. Ah, yes, oh, that was in the really wet yeah. year, wasn't it? Where there was hardly any practice. Was that wind? Wind was involved there. Yes, yes. Rosberg had wind, Crosswind.
2: and it affected his title. Wind's a horrible thing,
0: isn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's not what you want when you're driving. A- I couldn't even finish that with a straight face. <laughs> driving a Formula One car. Well, realistically speaking, Ferrari lost this championship before. Suzuka, didn't they? Like, you know, they've they've struggled the past few weekends from Singapore onwards you could even argue race day at monza onwards they've been very second best to mercedes and and hamilton's got on this massive roll and that just look, just looks unbeatable
1: yeah i don't know maybe it started all all started in hockenheim i reckon because the race, yeah it was yeah. it was a very 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 big punch i still not sure if i should use my russian accent or
2: yeah, yeah but you <laughs> have an alternative
1: accent well i i really can Oh wow! If you want, I really can do oh. like this. Oh wow! So, let's
0: make a Are <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you speaking
0: to me? He tonight. was here this weekend. Yeah, yeah, driving yeah. the '98 uh, McLaren car. Yeah, it was brilliant.
1: Yeah, but anyway, I think it all started in Hockenheim, basically, when Vettel made that mistake, and since then, he was probably trying to catch up a little bit and maybe doing things which weren't, you know reasonable like trying too hard. like like trying too hard yeah like today basically
2: when he tried to take for staten and and also like we saw yesterday in qualifying with ferrari trying to trying to steal a march on the opposition where there was no march to be stolen and uh going out on intermediates at the beginning of a session that wasn't that wasn't going to rain for a while everyone else wasn't doing it you do that when you're it's a last throw of the dice don't you that's the behaviour of, again, of people that don't genuinely believe they can win it and need to do something extraordinary to make it happen and they're trying to force the issue. Yeah, back then, back then, uh, Seb basically said it was a small mistake with a big consequences.
1: But I think he really didn't think so himself and maybe tr- was
0: trying to trying too hard to recover. Yeah, very much so. Well, it was a a huge, huge point swing. It's uh, and yeah, it was in that period it unravelled. Obviously, Germany with the rain, and then the next race in Hungary, we had the rain in qualifying. Frag was faster that weekend than Mercedes, and then carried on. But the just picking up on the the qualifying tire choice, that that was extraordinary. Because I always say you, you play the conditions in front of you. This wasn't a back of the grid team trying to fluke a result. This was a team that would that should have had its cars probably third and fourth on the grid. And I always say you you know you win championships by you know, you, on the days when you're third, you're third. On the days when you're second, you're second. On the days when you can win, you, you win. And we saw this in Singapore. They tried an optimistic strategy with Vettel, and rather than gaining them first, it never it was never going to gain them first, it dropped them to, to third. And this was another one of those days. And of course, it was compounded by the fact that when the Fries they did both have a, a Q3 dry lap. Both of them made mistakes at Spoon. Uh, spoon Curve, the, the long double right, uh, double left, I should say, before the back straight. Kimi clipped the the kerb kind of on the entry, had a moment, gathered it up, that cost him third on the grid, he was fourth instead, whereas Vettel went went off, so it's this kind of mistake, compounds mistake, compounds mistake, and I think you're absolutely right, like This this trying too hard.
2: What, what I don't like that Ferrari's been doing of late is they're not, it's, it's a different way of, it's a different example of them not taking what's available to them, but the two points today that they could have given Vettel, the... The fact that they didn't... I mean, I know Arriva Bene said afterwards it would be crazy to try and introduce team orders at the start of a race. But at Monza, 1-2, it's obvious that Kimi raced Vettel into Turn 1. Big lock-up, defending a position, put Vettel under pressure from Hamilton, led to the mistake where Vettel runs wide, hits Hamilton, and spins. And it's, it's these things that you then compare to Mercedes doing the very unpopular but quite right thing in Sochi last weekend where they gave Hamilton the win set an extra 7 points when his lead was already enormous a lot of people are saying he didn't need to you didn't need to do that by the end of the year maybe they wouldn't have needed to do that but they're not taking anything uh, for granted and it's as you say when there are points available you absolutely take them this weekend Bottas was nowhere near Lewis from the very beginning and he knew that for qualifying in the race his job was basically to play a rear gunner, make sure that no one else finished second, other than the second Mercedes there. Mercedes have played this championship by the book in terms of how you orchestrate it so that you give your number one contender the maximum points possible. They've definitely made mistakes along the way, and they've not been perfect this year. Lewis hasn't been perfect this year, either. He's had two or three off weekends. But when there have been points available, big points available, they've absolutely nailed it. And now, instead of having a horse that disagrees with me, I appear to have some weird moped car, bizarre vehicle thing outside
0: that's ruining everything I'm saying. Yeah, It sounds to for a while like I driving down the hotel corridor, which... We're on the fifth floor as well, so it's not like we're at we're a low level. That's, uh, that's remarkable. But, but yeah, the, the interesting thing with Ferrari is they do seem to be just imploding. Maurizio Bene still going, still revving. I don't know what's going on there. Um, Maurizio Vabene said after qualifying that it was unacceptable. He kind of almost turned on his team. He didn't said so he didn't want to point fingers, but he basically had a bit of a rant, this is not acceptable. Now, I understand it's the team principal's job to, if there's faults, to, you know, you want to find the person who's responsible and correct the problem, not sack them necessarily. But it, it just feels to me like this is a team under loads of pressure. The team principal has, has kind of cracked almost and and, and made these comments. And, and that, to me, just offers an insight into what's going on inside the team. Yeah, but I think they really lost it
2: and they don't know how to recover. I think the way that Arriva Bene spoke this weekend. He might say he doesn't you know, doesn't want to point fingers. Vettel certainly didn't want to point fingers. But the fact that Ariva Benet is reacting like that smacks of a man massively under pressure. And uh I don't I don't know the specifics of it, and obviously apart from circumstantial evidence, there's little to back this up. But since Sergio Marchoni passed away, Ariva Benet has sort of become a more influential, outspoken figure in the F1 paddock. I mean, that's fair to say, in the months that have followed. A good example is his press conference appearance in Singapore compared to his press conference appearing in Bahrain. In Bahrain, and in subsequent media appearances, it was, oh, this isn't for me to answer, this is for my chairman to answer. In Singapore, oh, this is my opinion. Then we heard from him last weekend, and we've heard from him this weekend as well. And this weekend, he's aggressively turning on his own team and throwing them under the bus. He's the person in charge. And if you're in charge, then the buck stops with you. You take responsibility. Another good example of that this weekend, we had McLaren Sporting Director Gilles De Ferran taking responsibility for a bad tyre decision that they made before they hired him. That's how much he was trying to take responsibility for his team's failings. And Arriva Bene, who is the actual man in charge and has been this whole time, his team has made a horrific blunder this weekend and screwed over Kimi's race as well today with a bizarre strategy, but he's the one pointing fingers. He's not saying, okay, this is on me, and he should be.
0: Yeah, that's what you need the, the team boss to, to take a degree of, of responsibility. Because there's two different things here with Ferrari. I don't have a problem with them struggling for pace or being out developed, You know, that's a technical thing. You work went through it. But once you've, you've been outpaced, which they have been by Mercedes, you need to still do the maximum to try and... Optimize optimize your chances, and you know the, the point I was making earlier like, about it was kind of Singapore when it really swung decisively for Mercedes. You're absolutely right about the points lost at Germany, etc. But it's been Singapore onwards that Mercedes has had that big performance advantage, isn't it? That's that's the. I mean that that is ultimately the root cause of, of of Ferrari struggling, even if all this other stuff is is secondary to that. With the pressure telling and them just falling apart.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But speaking about responsibility uh, and. We are here and we can point fingers ourselves. So maybe Moritz can, can't do that as a team principal, but I would point finger uh, at Sebastian because it's his responsibility as a team, uh, driver team leader to grab all of the points which is available. And he didn't do that this year. And compared to, compared to Lewis, yeah, he's done too many mistakes. And yeah, basically. He's more than responsible for what's going on with
2: Ferrari now as well. It's it's quite clear that neither driver nor team deserves to win a title this season. And one of the things that I find a bit of a shame is that Hamilton and Vettel have gone wheel-to-wheel a couple of times this year. Hamilton's got the better of Vettel. Hamilton hasn't made as many mistakes as Vettel. Hamilton has led his team when his teams needed it, and Vettel arguably hasn't. And I feel like Hamilton has properly, properly beaten and broken Vettel this season. But I just feel, and this is what disappoints me a bit, that this capitulation that we're seeing from Ferrari and the high-profile areas we're seeing from Vettel is its making it quite easy to have this narrative that Ferrari has blown it. And I, I just kind of feel like that detracts a little bit from the job that Mercedes and Hamilton well, well, have this done.
0: Is, this is the other thing, Mercedes and Hamilton – are ext- extremely good cohesive unit. They work very, very well together. Well, I, I, I mean, we're going to be
2: just by even saying that and raising that, we're going to get the usual criticism of we're Hamilton fanboys. When are you going to rename it Hamilton Sport and all of this, so I'm going to throw this to Oleg and get. Because I'm Russian, yeah, to get a completely non-British let's get a token viewpoint. Russian to say something. What is? I mean, you're a Russian who lives in Germany, so give us a couple of uh, of ideas. What's that? A, what's a defa- the Hamilton a reputation? I say yeah
0: a factor.
2: absolutely a yeah. absolutely, traitor to your home country but we won't get into that back in Russia in Germany what's the perception of Hamilton as a driver and in this season yeah uh, the best driver of this race was Sergei Srotkin first of all <laughs> I have to say that uh,
1: perception of Hamilton no I've, living in Germany of course speaking to German citizens and uh, fans maybe casual fans the perception of Vettel is not as good as Michael, for example. And you can't really avoid this kind of uh, parallels here, you know. He will always be compared to Michael. And I think what he lacks is probably obvious. He's proven this year that he's fragile, isn't he, no? Because he's got this strong punch in the face, probably made it himself in Hungary. And then... He couldn't. He couldn't pick himself up, and yeah, that's why I think he
0: he hasn't got that much support in Germany as well. Well, that's the interesting thing about him in terms of what he can and cannot cannot do. I'm, I've got a lot of time for Sebastian. Vettel. I think he's a fantastically good driver. I've been slightly puzzled at times by the Ferrari era Vettel, but what what I think we saw again today is. And we saw this in Germany when it when it was raining and when he was battling with Hamilton at Monza. He's not a great improviser, and he had to improvise today. We should probably go into this moment. Obviously, Vettel started eighth. He qualified ninth, moved up one place thanks to Ocon's red flag FP3 speeding penalty. He made up four places on the first lap, so he thought, well, he's... he's yeah, it was up. great. Well, he, he, Yeah, he, and one of those was because Räikkönen was forced off. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he made up four places. You thought he's fourth. He's behind Verstappen. Verstappen, of course, had a five-second penalty. Safety so
2: car restart as well, so had had regained that ground on the, the leaders yep. so, so it's actually all at this so, point so you're thinking the, hey this is coming up
0: Vettel yeah, it had it'd it'd gone really well and then of course behind Verstappen he knows he needs to get past him if he wants to have a chance of getting at the Mercedes drivers which was uh, obviously going to be optimistic although Bottas was obviously vulnerable as we saw later in the race but behind Verstappen Verstappen has the D rate just after the kink into Spoon there's an opportunity which Vettel wasn't necessarily expecting and then this is the improvisation where you've got that split second to make the decision Obviously, Vettel went up the inside. They had contact. Dolly, uh, what did he make of that incident and Vettel's part in it? There was no penalty, of course.
1: Yeah, I really don't understand why would you do that? Because uh, there's either too much risk on his side because it's a difficult place. He overtook a few laps before the Roman Grosjean, but it was a different story. Yeah, Grosjean the, wasn't really
0: interested yeah, in keeping him back. Yeah, Grosjean
1: behind. wasn't really interested. But then if you fighting for Verstappen and Sepp's been in that position many times, he knows that, Max won't give him a millimeter there, so he knows what he's doing. He's still taking risks despite knowing that Max has got five second penalty. I really
2: can't explain myself. Why? Why would? Why? Why would Seb do that? the The other thing is that the, it's not like Verstappen pinched his car to the apex in the corner. Verstappen did hold it in the middle of the track. He did seem to give Vettel room, and Vettel just took too much speed in, and. I I I applaud the I applaud the effort I pl- applaud that he wasn't just gonna sit back and wait, but only to a point because there's a massive long run to one thirty R and then the chicane after that corner and then the start finish straight and I can't remember if they were going to have DRS that lap or it would have been the lap after, but Ver- Verstappen would have been a sitting duck to Vettel if not immediately then, then very quickly and Vettel said afterwards that he felt that you know, it, he suggested that that's a situation where you don't know how many more opportunities than you get. So maybe that would be his only opportunity to pass. If that is your only opportunity to pass, then you need to kind of weigh up whether it's ri- what the risk is versus the reward. And trying to pass there against a similar, well, not similar, a, a, a very good car a, against an aggressive driver.
1: Who's I, not in the championship.
2: Yeah, exactly. I just, it's... It was it was silly and and Vettel said after the race on the radio to his team that if he doesn't go for that gap when it exists, then he might as well stay at home. And that's perilously close to the horrible and often misused Senna quote of you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver, which is basically a mandate to put your car wherever you like if you think there's a gap and cause a crash, even if you do, but you can justify it because you're really cool and a little bit you know, it's a bit mystical what you're saying. Vettel can't. You can't have that attitude when you're clinging onto a title because then you put yourself in a position where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to win it or bin it, and that's how you lose championships. That's not how you win them.
1: Yeah, it's exactly where uh, Lewis is better. Do you remember any risky of a take, any risky maneuver from Lewis this year? Maybe Monza, but it was against title contender. He, he knew both had something to lose. He wouldn't. I'm pretty sure Lewis wouldn't do something like that because we had this race in Hockenheim and there was nothing spectacular when Lewis got through the field
2: and also we had it at Silverstone where Lewis got spun around at the start and had to fight his way back through it's just it's, 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 there's just not a lot of fuss when he does it there's, it's interesting watching the top drivers when they're in those positions how they've all got their own little traits Bottas always looks a little bit uncertain when he's trying to overtake someone. There's always a bit of hesitation. Ricardo will just go from a distance. Sometimes it works. Uh, I'm sorry, sometimes it doesn't work. Most of the time it does work. Raikkonen, I never feel like he's going to make a move on someone. Vettel, it's always that. It's not the same hesitation as Bottas. It's more that misjudgment. He goes for it and he almost sort of gets caught in no man's land between hesitating and not really going for it and going absolutely and absolutely nailing someone. So it's just a bit vessel just feels a bit all over the place and we've talked about this quite a bit this year it's just in those high pressure moments you call it improvising Ed, i i i consider it high pressure moments where like a split decision makes all the difference he's probably talking about exactly the same thing to be honest but he's just it he just doesn't seem to be that good at it and it doesn't matter how many times it happens he just doesn't seem to learn so it just has he doesn't have the knack does he
1: yeah, just one thing to add to what Scott said about I had to send a quote and uh that will go in for it. Uh, it's just it's not an example of uh using the chance. It's an example of not using a common sense.
0: Oh, it's an example of being fourth in a race, you've started in a low position, and then through your misjudgment being nineteenth. You know absolutely, that, that, that's that's the reality. of it. And the thing is, it's very very easy to say, "Oh, you've got to take this chance." You've got to go. You know, the but the best are very very good at at judging that correctly. And Hamilton has become superb at that. He wasn't always that way. It's taken it's taken time. Everyone, from when they first come into Formula One to when they they're in their peak, and I think we'll probably certainly all agree, Hamilton's at his peak at the moment. They improve and their judgment gets better, etc. That's one of the things. I'm slightly surprised with Vettel. We we, we haven't seen. I guess the, the last thing on this is whether. The whole Ferrari ambience feeds into Vettel. Into what came first, the chicken or the egg. Is it Vettel creating some uncertainty or him getting uncertainty from the way the team is, or is it more likely a, a vicious circle?
1: Yeah, it's just one thing I was trying to make a point about, uh, referring to Hockenheim. It seems that Sepp just cannot let some situations go. He made that mistake and he's trying to, yeah, make it better and uh, to catch up and but sometimes it's just important to let it really go he seemed very calm in hockenheim after the interviews and i was like oh he is actually very calm and uh, yeah he probably can pick himself up and and then fight from from that point but by that uh, time it wasn't that bad in the championship but then uh, everything will happen afterwards just makes me think he cannot just let it go then he made a mistake you just cannot start from fresh
2: it is it is that, that failure to, to realize that you can't overreach a sort of hopefully this is a simple way of putting it but it's like if you're doing if you if you're taking a test and you've got 10 questions right if you get the first question wrong you can't get 10 out of 10 on that quiz anymore you can only get 9 out of 10 so your focus needs to be trying to get every answer right for the next nine answers, to get nine out of ten. If you try and be clever with one of your answers to thinking you're going to get a bonus point and you get it wrong, then, oh, now you're down to eight out of ten. It, it's, it's
0: exactly that. It's, yeah, you're, not, you you're not going to get ten out of nine, are you?
2: Yeah, you can't reclaim what you've lost. You can, All you can do is do the best, bit, uh, the best bit of what you're doing next, and then the next bit after that, and the next bit after that. And you just get that feeling with Vettel and Ferrari that they've just been clawing at Things that aren't there to try and sort of make big chunks and, t- and take big leaps out of Mercedes and Hamilton for a situation that, that that doesn't require it. Like, what they need now is to they need to, to, to they needed to turn the screw. They needed to realize okay. We're a long way behind now. We've been making mistakes under pressure. Let's reset. Let's put the pressure on them. Let's get everything right. We need to be on par. We need to win the race. We need both of our cars in front of their cars. We need to get them under pressure from the Red Bulls. And then maybe they're the ones making mistakes. Maybe we can make Hamilton crack. Maybe then he gets a 6th a or a 7th or, or a DNF. Instead, you put yourself in a position where you're always playing catch-up. You're always chasing. And you never make the best decisions when you're in that because you start getting desperate. And that's basically what happened this weekend.
1: Vettel was running fourth, but he wasn't concentrating on the fact that he's won positions and he's in a good uh, position now to the race going forward. He was still
0: thinking about the Saturday mistake they made with, with the team. It's the reason why drivers always say I oh, was just taking it one step at a time because they all know that the important thing in elite sport is to focus on the process you're going through the point. You want to win a championship, your process is do each lap, each session, each race weekend right as well as you can. If your car's good enough, you're good enough, the situation's good enough, you will win the championship. You can't kind of be thinking about the championship in the start. That's why they always say that. I feel Vettel's saying it, but yeah, he's not He's not actually doing it. And it, and it all comes down to the whole team, you know, you made the comparison uh, when you were talking about the, the the German outlook on Vettel. Vettel isn't Schumacher, and Ricciardo everybody isn't Jean tott That's that's the kind of kind of difference at the moment. One of the things that helped Vettel was the end of the first lap with Verstappen locking up, running onto the grass at the chicane, rejoining, and then pushing Reich and then who was trying to go around him. Thought, what did you make of that, Scott? Do you think that was? I mean Verstappen said oh well he should have gone on the other side or or waited. Uh the stewards thought clearly Verstappen was in the wrong so they gave him a 5 second penalty.
2: Um I felt that Verstappen was was really stupid to think that the penalty was stupid. Um, I actually, ridiculous I think was there was the a it, stu- he also oh, it stupid. stupid yeah he called it stupid afterwards in the press conference as well. Um but I do agree with him on the point he makes about Kimi, in that in that situation you you can see what Verstappen's doing off track. He's he's clearly not going to cut the corner. He's not putting the boot into the throttle like Alonso did and just taking off over the grass. He's, he's taking the joker lap. Yeah, exactly. He's um he's rejoining and, and Verstappen says he tries to rejoin as carefully as possible. In all of this, uh, okay, I'll well, just give him the benefit of the doubt. If you're in there, you can see that car's coming back on on track. You know it's Verstappen, so there's a slight chance he might be playing at something here. I don't quite understand why you do try and boot it and go around the outside. I don't quite... I feel like maybe he could have slowed up and then just cut back underneath him but I haven't seen Kimi's on board so I don't know whether he actually has that time but I can see why Verstappen kind of thinks that's what Kimi should have done I just disagree that he thinks it's Kimmy's responsibility to get out of the way when he's gone off and is rejoining the track and isn't completely in control because if you've gone off and you've gone over the grass and you're bouncing over the kerb you're not in control of your car rejoining the track so it's it's not the other car's responsibility to, to clean up after your
0: mistake the other thing is that if you're behind a car that goes off on the chicane, you won't head for the inside on the exit because that's where the car's defin- the, the other car's definitely going to go. I'm, I'm not really convinced Kimmy had anywhere else, any other logical direction to, to go in, really.
1: Yeah, but that's Max, isn't he? Uh, yeah. Him being always sure he's on the right side and it's one of his strengths and probably he wouldn't be so spectacular if he would be... Sensible.
2: It's just frustrating because it's just a it's a repetition of what I think is you you call it a strength though. like I I think is one of staff's biggest weaknesses is he he doesn't seem to be able to look inward in those situations and accept that he's made a mistake. The only the one thing I do hope because we did see, regardless of what he thinks and says, we did see a clear change in. I don't want to say change in approach because he hates that, okay. and he'll probably headbutt. It is, he'll is, he'll, he'll headbutt me. It is a change um, in approach. Yeah, he, it's yeah. got to be. It. It's, it's not Monaco, transformation, but after Monaco, he's moderated what he does. Since Monaco, he's been. I nearly swore since Monaco he's been absolutely sensational he's been really really good um, he's probably been the second best driver after Hamilton since Monaco yeah, I agree with that um,
0: and yeah, certainly Canada onwards yeah right? exactly other than yeah. the Monza thing with Bottas yep yeah I agree today. with
2: that but again that was him failing to accept that he'd done something wrong but he has altered his approach. He has got better. Generally, he's got better at judging stuff. The move in Austria that was ultimately for the win, for example, against Kimmy. That was, that was superb. Racing, but why is race- it, well,
1: let me stop you here, but why is, why was it superb? Because it's, it was inches from being a complete failure. And you would be sitting here and talking about Mike's being stupid again. Because, because if he would have broken suspension
2: there, we, w- there wouldn't be that win. Because he's made that move in a way that I think it gives him the initiative into the corner. And I think he also knows that he's racing Kimi, who isn't as formidable a force wheel-to-wheel. So I, I think that was a, an example of him judging the situation perfectly.
0: And, and also, it does come down to that thing of the fine margins. You know, Sometimes there's things that are, that are flukes that can go either way. I don't think the Austria one, I mean, it, you're right, it could have it could have caused that, but when you've got a car going right on the outside, it's its trajectory. I, don't know, I think that was, Anyways, I mean, it was, it was on the line. A little bit say. less likely, on, but a little bit
1: like uh, Lewis in Bahrain, no? Because there wasn't anything criminal in Bahrain as well when he was overtaking Lewis. It was a fine margin, but, but, but it he was gave, just...
0: But he gave the Mercedes nowhere to go. That was the problem.
1: Yeah, a little bit as well. But for me, it's uh, 50-50 in both occasions so it could have been that's on the wrong side in
0: in Austria as well it, it does tell you how fine the margins are that's certainly true
2: we've, uh, we've we've drifted away from the point I was trying to make which is that what was the point Scott that, that, so long ago it's yeah tough. exactly so basically it's that Verstappen the fact that Verstappen's made this progress and been so good suggests that even though he likes to tell us he doesn't think he did anything wrong in these scenarios Something's changed, so he he clearly has recognised it. So I just wonder if it's a desire not to present to the public that he's made a mistake, whereas privately or with the team, he'll go, yeah, realise messed up there, won't do that again. But the message he sent to his team over the team radio after the race where he said that both Ferraris were too aggressive suggests he does genuinely feel like Kimi was uh, was the man in the wrong for the accident that Verstappen caused by going off the track and rejoining badly.
1: Well me personally I don't think it was some some sort of a conscious decision of Max yeah now I should have yeah, now I should change the approach I just think that it's natural building experience he's been through some situations and sometimes it just comes naturally and yeah he will never accept maybe himself to himself that he he changed something but he's just learning he's turned 21 recently and there's huge potential,
2: a lot of years to come, and yeah, he's getting better and better. He he does need to make sure he keeps learning though, because at the moment he's halfway between a Vettel and a Ricciardo. He, he's he's absolutely exceptional, really brave and bold with his overtakes, pulls off some stunning moves sometimes, and he also gets the judgments horrendously wrong as well. So he's in he's he's bang in the middle between those two and he will definitely want to be more like Ricardo in battle than Vettel and he needs to learn from his mistakes. And he made he made the mistake today against Kimmy and I don't think he was in the wrong against Vettel. So it's not that he's in the wrong all the time and it probably sounds like we're bashing him a little bit. It's just we know how good he can be and he's only twenty one. There's there's so much more that he can achieve. I just want him to drive more like we've seen him at other races and less like that. Oh, I've made a quick mistake. Oh, I don't really know how to deal with this. Oh, I'm just gonna oh it's all oh it's got away from me. I don't want to see that.
1: Yeah, I think just the only thing Max needs right now is a championship winning car. And I think we will see many uh, much fewer mistakes because you won't be in such a situation often. Speed is incredible. We we see it uh, we see how he beats Ricardo now basically Absolutely, in the in qualifying yeah. and in, in the races. And then if he gets a car which is capable of winning races and doing polls, he might just
0: disappear and then never never have a chance to overtake anyone. Yeah, no, very much so. And, and also, if he gets into a, a championship situation, that will also change the mindset. He's, he's perfectly capable, I'm sure, of if there's a championship on the line, of knowing when discretion is the better part of Valor, etc., and judging it. But at the moment, all, all he's really got to do is try and get some results. And especially seeing as the... The reliability's not been brilliant there, so you never know when you're going to grow into a hole anyway. Yeah, but my point is is that Max doesn't
1: have to change the approach because there's nothing wrong with approach when he, he's got a winning car and he won't be in this kind of situation. And without changing approach and attacking people and crushing into them, he, he will still win and be perfect because he doesn't make mistakes on his own. Uh, yeah, well, well, well what I, can we? I,
0: I, I could be uh, argumentative and mention Monaco winning car p3 shunt exactly exactly one tiny 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 but that's that's i mean we're always talking about tiny mistakes but that's the that that's what we talk about in terms of approach in terms of a slight slight shift it's like just knowing p3 yeah it's your site it's your qualifying simulation but don't lay it all on the line to that extent it's just knowing when to be at that absolute 100% knowing when you make the move that has to be 100% right versus 90% right to be able to to to, I'm sure that will come, I've no doubt and he has been superb for much of this season, I mean the early problems are are long behind him Yeah and now he's in a bit
1: of a fighty mood you know, he doesn't play the championship and maybe he's a little bit more aggressive and maybe here this time with Kimi as well, maybe if he was a championship contender by that
0: time he wouldn't do that. And of course we should also say Verstappen did come quite close to well, I'll say quite close. He never was never really able to launch an attack, but he was giving Bottas a hard time. Bottas struggling a bit with tire blistering. Obviously, they had a, a, a different tire compounds they, they were on because Verstappen was on the soft and, um, Bottas was on the mediums, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I've got my notes to hand to uh, double check it, but it, it was close. There was a period in the race where over a dozen laps that the gap closed dramatically. He was Verstappen was on average about three quarters of a second faster and, and that that was. Impressive, you know, seeing someone who wasn't in the best car giving the second driver in the best car really something to think about.
2: Yeah, just it just shows what what Verstappen is capable of when he's when he's in that mindset when he's just sort of left his own devices. He's got the sniff of something, smelled blood a bit. He's brilliant in that underdog role, isn't he? He's been in Austria when he when he won, so you kind of think, right, okay, you are in the pound seat now. You do have a Ferrari right behind you. You have two Ferraris right behind you. So you've not really been massively quick what's going to happen now oh you're just reeling off the laps you're not ruining the tires your pace is really good oh you've you've won this race quite comfortably wow that's incredible and you sort of see it obviously wasn't in front today but we saw that with him in third place and that's that's the Verstappen we want to see again not to um not not to go on about this too much but that is the Verstappen we want to see not the one that's I mean, you slide off track under under braking on the opening lap, making a mistake everyone makes. mistakes. that's fine. This, the it was it was the actions afterwards that we that we that we, that we don't want to see from him.
0: And of course, we should also come back to the other Ferrari mistake. It was a bit of a mistake. I think it probably didn't make much difference in the end because Raikkonen was hobbled. But the strategy with Raikkonen, they brought him in at the at the end of uh, end of lap 17. That played a part in Raikkonen being able to jump in because it put Raikkonen into traffic. And just another example, I think, of Ferrari not making the, the smart call. Well, I don't understand what they were trying to do. Like,
2: Unless Räikkönen had a major tyre problem, were they, what were they trying to do? Trying to undercut someone who had a five-second penalty in the pits?
1: Yeah, I think Kimi himself said that the car was had a bit of damage. Exactly, for me. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he didn't have a pace anyway to fight against us. But I think it's a little lie. I don't know. Anyway, you put the, your driver in the traffic... You completely
0: lose the chance uh, to defend, which is what they did with Vettel in Singapore. They put him in amongst a, a Force India, Perez, wasn't it? And yeah, it was, just it was. One lap was enough. Mistake. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it just it just seems strange because it just cr- opens that window. Ricardo probably could have got past him anyway in that phase, but why make it easy?
2: Well, especially when track position is important at a place like Suzuka, and if you're going to put him out in traffic, then a hobbled car is going to be even worse. At least if he's on his own in front of everybody and trying to defend even with a hobbled car, he's got half a chance. You just, you just, why make it easy? Vettel said this afterwards, Vettel said this on Sunday, that they've made it too easy for Mercedes. They made it too easy for Red Bull today. Just more examples of them throwing away points needlessly and just making their fading, they obviously we keep, so we keep acting as if the title's not done. It is. It's all over by the shouting. But, don't, don't roll over like this. This is, after what was such a good season, such a brilliant first half of the year from Ferrari, if not Vettel, they're going out with such a whimper. It's really, really sad.
1: It's just in the space of two months,
2: I think. If we exclude the summer break, it's even less. Amazing. A seven or eight, in in this seven-race run, where Lewis has won six, Vettel's gone from something like an eight-point lead to now being on the verge of being knocked out of the championship contention with three races to go. If you'd said at the summer break that the championship was going to be decided with three races to go, you'd never. No one would have believed you.
0: Yeah, it's uh, and, and really you would say even after Spa, you would say yeah, Ferrari. You know, Vettel's lost some points, but Ferrari's still still the favourites. But obviously, the the interesting question is the whole where the whole pace has gone. And certainly, there's uh, all sorts of interesting suggestions we talked about on the uh, Russian Grand Prix podcast a little bit about some of that. Ricardo's drive, I should say, was was a strong one. He cleared the, he, he started fifteenth after he had a throttle actuator problem in start of Q two, cleared the midfield quite quickly, and that's what allowed him to to jump uh, Raikkonen, which is actually a very good race drive from Ricardo, who at, at times in recent races has looked a little bit like he's got half an eye on, on the exit door. Is, <laughs> at that, Red Bull.
1: is that the point when we start moaning about the Class B, Class A Formula One? Well,
0: we well we shall get onto that. I mean, well th- the fact is that we saw two cars coming through, Ricardo and Vettel no one was very interested in, because there's no point in them in them battling, because they don't want to lose time against their class rivals.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't remember who... Yes, yeah, someone from the Class B said that no one will actually fight Vettel uh, on well, Sunday evening. Yeah. Well, why
0: would you? Yeah, there's there's, there's no benefits to it.
2: Yeah, good old F1. This is a, this is a
0: proper sport, isn't it? Yeah, we should say the Class B battle was was extremely good. It was a close one. Sergio Perez in the end came through to to win it after after mugging Roman Grosjean at the after the VSC restart. Grosjean was not very happy, but uh, yeah, that was just Perez being being a little bit a little bit sharper. But you had this great, you know, always close to the battle of Class B. on this great moment when Grosjean pitted, and then Leclerc and Perez were battling on track. You basically had the top three in Class B in the same bit of track. If that was for the lead. Always different leaders. always dif- always different
1: winners. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's we had Leclerc first time last week. Yeah,
0: Gasly before that. There were seven teams in that group. Six of them have have won Class yeah. Bs. Harzlecombe well. for sure. Yeah, a good half dozen championship contenders. So yeah, I mean it's always it's always a good race.
2: Yeah, but it's I I I like watching Championship and League One football, and I can watch those games and think, oh yeah, this is a, this is that was a really fun game but it's not the same as watching the absolute big guns slug it out it's not the same ultimate quality on show um, it, it, it it, just you, you always you know, do you know what I mean you always feel like you're you, you, you can never completely shift the fact that you're watching something that isn't the absolute top tier and that's what's a shame it's always kind of like you see something like something mega like that happen in an otherwise unspectacular race where nothing's happening out front and for me anyway, I see it and I register it as brilliant and I think, oh, that was great. But I can't do that without a little voice in my head just going, but ultimately it doesn't matter.
0: Well, it's for seventh, isn't it? Exactly.
2: Yeah. That's what I mean. It's it's just su- it's just such a shame because the drivers are driving their absolute nuts off. The teams are, are working super, super hard. They're putting everything on the line. And ultimately, it's not what people are watching F1 for. And it's a shame that that's the bit that's good or the best bit about F1 in terms of the pure racing. Because there's been some brilliant things about the front this year. I've, I've said this so many times this season. We have had the title contenders go wheel to wheel more than once. That That is that is good. If it's better than good, that's great. But it doesn't happen enough. And the fact that you have to rely on fictional class b's and oh wouldn't it be great if the big three teams were out of the picture that it says so much about the state f1 is in Alonso thinks that his penalty for doing that oh i've been hit off by strolls oh, i'm just going to pin the throttle and cut the final chicane there we go he thinks that says something about how bad the state of f1 is it's not it's the class a class b split and anyone with a brain uh can can see that
0: And the worst thing is, and we shouldn't get too much into this. You could therefore say, "Oh well, just cut back the spending, etc., etc." And then Class B does become Class A, but there's teams in there, Haas, Sauber, they have affiliations with the big teams. It's not, it's not that simple, sadly. But it does tell you that you know F1 to these regulations fundamentally can still produce very good good and exciting racing and also there was some controversy you mentioned there, obviously with that, that Stroll Alonso incident you mentioned which is brilliant two drivers getting a penalty for the same incident. Yeah when very, I, very
2: when when that came up we have obviously the race control board and it it comes up and you think hang on. Stroll's been given a penalty for, for forcing Alonso for causing a collision. For this, forcing Alonso off the track. But hang on. Alonso's been given a penalty for going off track and gaining an advantage. Well, one of those must override the other. They must have communicated the wrong message. And then the Alonso replay, the replay comes up, and you see a Stroll shove Alonso off the track, and then from the same on board, just see Alonso flat out over the over the grass and crack, carry on. You're just like, yeah, actually, fair enough. That's uh, that's just Cheek at absolute maximum, isn't it, from the master of Cheek this year. That's probably the, uh, apparently that's the Best violation of F1 track limits rules ever in the history of F1 from Alonso. Yeah, he's
0: certainly taking off all the best, uh, best moments. And it's um, yeah, it's sort of the, the, the Alonso farewell tour. Is uh, I mean, he's still driving well a lot most of the time, but there's still there's, there's an element of fast to the uh, the Alonso farewell F1 tour, isn't there? It's uh, it's not ideal. We, we did also have a little bit of other controversy among that group with Kevin Magnussen doing one of his trademark defenses against Charles Leclerc. Uh, that led to Leclerc. Getting front wing damage, he hit the rear and uh, rear of Magnuson's car. Magnuson got a got a puncher and that, dumped debris all over the track, and led to that early safety car. What do you make of that, Oleg? No punishment from the stewards, but what, what was what was it? Leclerc called him. He, I know he described him as a as an idiot, didn't he? And it's uh, got the note here somewhere. It's always him, etc.
1: Yeah, I spoke to Charles after after the race, and he wasn't really impressed with Kevin. Uh, sad he spent a year in Formula 1, and Kevin is the driver who's had who he had
0: the most problems with during this year. But it's a very difficult one to judge, isn't it? The, the reason the penalty wasn't given was that, as Charlie Whiting put it, and that Magnussen moved at the same time as Leclerc to the right.
1: Yeah, but uh, for me, is just what was Kevin trying to do? Was he trying really to defend the position knowing uh, Charles
0: is moving there? Or No, he was he, was, he, just he, he was blocking in anticipation of Leclerc going that way. I've got no doubt about that.
2: Uh, it's it's really difficult to it's really difficult to understand what what Magnus and Ruth like thought was gonna happen. He moved over. I guess he thinks Leclerc is going to lift or back out of it. That's
0: what he's trying to make him do, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just... I
2: I kind of get what Gunther Steiner was saying afterwards when he says, well, he w- didn't move twice and it wasn't in the breaking zone, which are the, the two big no-nos. So, kind of get that. But he has also swerved at high speed when Leclerc's coming up quick behind him. And ultimately... I feel like Magnussen maybe switched off a bit, didn't realise Leclerc was that close, didn't cover the line enough and it's such a sudden move and I'm not convinced that Magnussen doesn't move left ever so slightly just before he moves right and yeah you can argue that Leclerc should make the move earlier because he's coming up behind so if you're going to leave it that late and and be that close then you open up the risk of, of something like that happening. But to me, the the blame is on Magnussen for moving across. I know that Leclerc's hit him up the backside um, and normally, if you do that in a road car somewhere, you're probably the one that's going to get blamed aren't you, if you've, if you've hit them from behind but Magnussen's got a reputation and this shouldn't come into it but it should come into it when you consider what is this driver like in those scenarios and we know that Magnussen's not afraid to move his car and put it where it probably shouldn't be and push the limits or exceed the limits in defence and I think that's what he did today
1: what Charles was referring to as well uh, was the moment the incident between Kimi Raikkonen and Max Verstappen in spy a few years ago when Mm. Max done pretty much the same but there it was for me it was more obvious that Max reacted to Kimi's move I'm not sure entirely that Kevin saw that Charles made a move, or he just anticipated
0: that. Yeah, I, I'm certainly who's anti- anticipating a move. I've no doubt about that. In terms of you know, th- that's the thing because my my trouble is that if you are if the if the point is that if you make the move at the same time, it's all right. Then it becomes too easy to anticipate the point when they're likely to move because the the driver behind will always be waiting to see if you're if they're going to defend or not. And then there's like a commitment point. And then if the other drive is moving, it's, it's my, my biggest concern is it, it becomes, particularly in open wheels, it becomes a bit of a mandate to create plane crashes. That, that's, that's the big, the big concern. And you know, it was a re, it was a relatively square hit, even though it was slightly to one side between those two. But you know, it's, it's just a, it's just a little bit of concern. You can't just sort of sit there and then say, right, I'm going to go this way just at the moment. You know, the other guy's going to commit because he wasn't going to go left because there wasn't space to the left. So he knew Leclerc would go right. And then at the point at which it would be natural for Leclerc to go right, now the rear visibility is not brilliant, but you have a pretty good idea, drivers at this level.
1: Wasn't it the same with Vettel and Hamilton in Sochi as well? When Lewis moved to right, then Seb reacted and yeah, Lewis backed off.
0: The, the basic rule I've got is if you're moving, I mean this isn't this isn't the rule as written. People talk about one move, two moves. That's fine. There are certain situations where that applies but it's not a catch-all if you're on a straight and somebody does something that's not necessarily entirely predictable it forces you to break or lift in what is an absolutely 100% throttle zone that that can be a problem if they're doing it late that that's my big concern
2: my problem with it is that you're getting into not dealing with something until it has consequences territory and while it's always you always have to be careful because i to to steal what you just said about catchalls, I think you have to avoid a. Uh, oh, you can only you have to act on um, intent, or you have to act on consequences, or you have to act on cause, not consequences, or whatever your stance is. There, there is no there is no one size fits all solution to that. But in this scenario, when as you say, you're in a 100% throttle zone. If what you've done there is, and Leclerc referenced this as well, if you've said that that's okay. Now, every driver knows that moving in on the straight last minute, even if it results in contact, is okay. It's a terrible precedent to set F1 drivers, and it's a terrible precedent to set every single young racing driver that's watching that. Driving standards in junior single-seaters is appalling at times, and stuff like this is only going to make that worse because they're going to see them getting away with it in F1 and thinking that that's the done thing and that's okay to do.
1: Yeah, speaking of the junior series, I think I remember a couple of years ago Last year in Hungary, probably Oliver Rowland and Artem Markelov had a bit of the same thing when Oli moved in the last minute trying to defend his position, and Artem went all the way down to the right and when then on the grass and lost it, and coming back and trying to defend you from from uh, Vettel fans and saying that you all Hamilton fans yourself. Uh, I think what Lewis done in Sochi shows you you can just leave it and then have another go. And I would say Charles is also partly responsible
0: for what happened, maybe. And just finishing off our, our Class B run, obviously Perez 7th, Grosjean 8th, Esteban Ocon 9th, Carlos Sainz Jr. 10th for a runner. That was a good point in a car that was struggling for, for pace against its class rivals, but still hanging on to 4th in the Championship. Pierre Gasly-Scott was in 11th, Brendan Hartley came home 13th in the, the Honda Power Tour, Rosso, having started 6th and 7th. Lots of optimism about the Honda... Engine upgrade, the race did not go well.
2: Engine upgrade apparently worked, but unfortunately, it was uh, fitted to a car that didn't uh, didn't go forward as quickly as the others. In Hartley's case, at the start, so I think he dropped from he was down to tenth, wasn't he, by turn one? So that was his race massively compromised. Just a whole heap of wheels spin off the line.
1: Yeah, and again, Hartley first lap. He is he himself admitted a few times that he lost
2: many races in the first lap. Yeah, he's done it again. Exactly. Um, then you had couple of cars pit under the safety car early on which meant i think um i think hartley when he finally pit, came out behind ericsson
0: yeah he was, he was yeah he ended up behind ericsson so who he ran, ran that marathon stint on exa- the mediums exactly. and never got past him yeah
2: so so you know that 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 stitched his race up Gasly, i thought he was doing quite a good job he was gradually slipping back from behind grosjean in the early stint. But he was doing a pretty decent job. In I think He was second in class B at the time wasn't he? Um, but unfortunately. He faded at the end of his stint. They didn't react quick enough Toro Rosso. Maybe because they didn't have the faith. That he could go as quickly as everybody else long. On the other tyres in the second stint. But it just meant that they got mugged by. The Force Indias. And then faded massively with the tyres. Late on and got jumped for the final point. Um, but. Not, not the ideal result, but otherwise I think a very encouraging home race for Honda um, really showed the progress they've been making as an engine manufacturer this year. And I know a lot of people say, well, about downtime, because it's the fourth season for them, but at the venue in which they suffered that horrible GP2 engine barb from Alonso, for Honda-powered cars to make it into Q3 fairly comfortably, 6th and 7th, while McLaren suffered probably the first or maybe the second time this year where it's been outright the slowest team and looked the worst team. You know, Honda Honda will, will have taken a great amount of satisfaction from this weekend.
0: Well, let's leave Class B behind and just wrap up with Championship. Is that going to be wrapped up appropriately enough in Austin by Lewis Pollock? I don't know. Good prediction. Scott? Yes. I think on the balance, probably, yes, it will be, which is a great shame because this was a fantastic championship for so long and it's all it's all kind of gone away. But there we go.
2: It is a shame, isn't it? That, that's the big thing. Um, I Again, we get accused of being biased, but uh, there, there is no pleasure in uh, seeing a title be decided this easily. And it has been decided easily in the end. And Lewis and Mercedes will tell you how hard they've worked for it. I think I've worked extremely hard and it is never easy to win an F1 title but it has the pile has been cleared for them and and Hamilton is uh he's not strolling down it is is he? uh, absolutely belting down it at, at full speed. Uh, it's just a shame that we don't have the nail-biting finale I think everyone was
0: expecting uh, two or three races ago. Well, you'll be able to read all the news stories coming out of the Japanese Grand Prix on autosport.com as we speak, plus all the news from the rest of the world of motorsport. Of course, Rally GB, very significant event in the uh, World Rally Championship fight uh, finished on, on Sunday. There's all sorts of things going on. There's always something going on in the world of motorsport. Please check out our Plus Subscriber area, where for a small fee you can read all sorts of in-depth features by the world's leading motorsport journalists, and also check out Autosport Magazine, out every Thursday. And while you're at it, please check out Sister Titles, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly, and also motorsport.com. And if you fancy a flutter, check out Pit Stop Betting. The app is available at the App Store all the usual places. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport Podcast.
1: You really can sell to anyone from anywhere.
2: This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today.
1: Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com
0: slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or sea floors. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty,